Uh, I want us to think back where we've gone, though, because we've got a drastic change this morning as we jump into this, this chapter. We spent two weeks on chapter one, and, and so far in Second Peter, where we've gone with, with the first chapter was it opened with God providing for everybody to get, to get the help they need. It's all positive. It's good. It talks about his power. It talks about verses three through four of chapter one, talking about his power, his provision, his precious promises. And then it, then it transitions with taking those things and applying them and saying it's our participation in his divine nature, which I think is beautiful. Like we get to participate. We get to, to partner with God in fulfilling the things that he wants to fulfill, like all good stuff, all, all good things. And, and it talks about his deliverance from the, the protection against corruption. Uh, you don't have to live in the world long to know that we need some protection against the evilness and the things that are all around this world that, that pull us astray, astray and, and just, just tempt us to, to follow the wrong suits. Then he goes into to a bunch of verses. We spent a, a time looking at seven virtues where we're called to grow in, to devote ourselves into his calling, to become more like him so that we can be like him in glory in the eternal kingdom. And then he closes chapter 1 with this reminder of the great assurance that the gospel of Christ is reality. He's reiterating the fact of this, this that he's preaching about, this that he's talking about, this that, that so many are going to be worried about, this is the truth. You don't have to worry, you don't have to doubt, you don't have to second guess. This is guaranteed truth. And he says it because he says, I and many, many others are eyewitnesses to this truth. We've been there, we've walked these roads, we've, we've seen these things. And we looked at, and I told you last week, I can't imagine all the things that Peter had saw, all the miracles he had been a part of, even the moment where he, he messed up and chopped off an ear, and the Lord picked it up and put it back on somebody, where, where he jumped out of a boat and walked on water and began to sink, and the Lord grabbed his hand and pulled him up, where he had seen the crucifixion, where he had seen the resurrected Christ, all those things that he had seen, yet it was the, the moment where the skies opened up, and he had to be corrected because he put Jesus on, on the same plate as Elijah and Moses. And he had to hear God's voice saying, this is my son. This is my son. He's miles ahead of these other two that you're trying to put on the same scale. And it's those moments and those things where he says, this is why you can trust that the gospel is true. And anytime a man gives you a moment where he was corrected as proof of the truth, that's a good sign. That man, is, he's all right. You know, he, he remembered the lesson and he learned from it. And then he, he verifies the prophetic writings and direct messages of the Holy Spirit. And, and just proving the fact, all truth, all truth, all truth, all truth. And then Marty opens us up with chapter 2 today. Our attention gets turned, rather than looking at light and truth, into seeing darkness, to seeing lies, to seeing deception. We go out of the sunshine and, and into a, a path of evil, really. And, and Peter takes this time because he thinks it's vitally important. Really, he spends the, almost the whole rest of this letter, all of chapter 2 and, and most of chapter 3, are devoted to exposing the evils of the world exposing the lies, exposing the, the false truths. And sometimes that's from emotion of a condition we're in, and, and sometimes that's, a, that's because of a situation we're going through, and sometimes that's just because somebody stood up and preached it, and it was a lie, and it was evil, and it was wrong. So chapter 2 is direct contrast to the first chapter. We're going from truth to, to what is false. We're going from what you should add to your faith to, to what you should stay the heck away from. You know, I, I like we're not going to make it nowhere near the chapter, but you'll hear it again next week. I like, as, as Marty read just now about Balaam the donkey speaking, and just something God had given me the last couple of weeks. He goes, sometimes there's more truth in the ass in the room than there is in the preacher in the room. You just let that apply. and it, You know what I'm saying? Like, that is hard truth. Y'all, oh, y'all, now I'm talking about a donkey, guys. Man, y'all trying to take stuff the wrong way. 
But, but that's what he's talking about. He says, he says that, that, that animal spoke more truth than these false teachers are speaking. That, 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 that vessel that the Lord was using had more promise, more hope, more assurity than the false promises and the false practices that are taking place and invading the church. Look at what he says. It's invading, it's invading this church. He's saying these are the things you should, you should avoid. So, so I just want to ask, how many of you have ever fell trap? Get out the spiritual realm for a minute and just be honest with reality. How many of you ever fell into the trap of an infomercial? You know, one of those late night things advertised. The ShamWow was probably the most famous. How many people in the room bought a ShamWow? None of you bought a ShamWow? Y'all didn't even buy it from like the, the store in the mall that has As Seen on TV? Oh, I had one from there. I didn't buy it. I didn't fall into the trap of ordering online. But it, how many people bought an ab roller? My dad bought a. Oh, there's some honest people. They they wave them slow. You're not alone, man. There's others back with you. You you don't have to be. Plus, there's nobody behind you. Who are you hiding from? You got voices in your head. It's my. <laughs> my dad bought an ab roller. How'd that work? <laughs> You bought an ab roller? Can y'all see Anne Marie and my dad doing an ab roller? I won't dare ask either of you to show me the six pack that you got from it, right? How about uh how about diet gummies? I don't know how many of you follow news and radio right now. Right now that's a big thing because oh I done forgot her name. One very big country star has been uh been been promoted as the, the diet gummy queen, and she's rest assured to tell the world she hasn't used the diet gummies that they're advertising. So she, she, she falsified or approved the lie before it ever even got out. How many of you fell into any, like, investment schemes? Sometimes even in churches where it's like, if you just give 10, got to give you back 100. Right? We fall into these stupid traps, guys. I don't want to raise your hand on that one because you know you fell into it before. But, you know, there, there's, the, there's the, the end of a lot of them that the one guy was famous for. He says, that's not all. That's not all. He's, he's saying, we hadn't lied enough to you. We're going to keep lying to you again. We're going to keep feeding you, feeding you all this stuff. I was reading an article in relation to the, to the diet gummy thing that's going on, and it's, it just summed it up like this, and I thought this was a great summary of this chapter. It says consumers need to beware of false advertising because false advertising is everywhere. And here's a highlighted moment. I love the, 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 the investigative truth that had to go into this. You've got to get deep, get ready. This is hard because false advertising means that the information they're giving you is a lie. Now, that's deep. You had to really study to get that. False advertising is a lie. You know, we hear this in the church. That's what Peter's talking about. Peter's saying in, in, in chapter 2, he's saying, guys, you need to be weary of false teachers. Now, he starts out great. He makes it very obvious. He says the, the problem is not that false teachers are new. The problem is that the false teachers, the enemy of God, those that, that Satan's been doing since the very beginning of time of sowing his, his tares among the wheat, it's an old problem. And you need some of the same advice we've been told. He's saying that this, this, this is a certain thing. He's not saying it might happen. He's not saying it could happen. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, there will be false teachers among you. There will be. Not there might be. Not there could be. He's saying there's going to be. There's going to be some false infomercials going on. There's going to be some lies and tactics of the devil. There's going to be some deceit that takes place. There's going to be some darkness amongst the light. 
Jesus asked his disciples, like many of us have got into the to array of study, he said, well, what's the sign? They asked, what's the sign of the end days? What's the, what's the sign of your second coming? What, what is it? Matthew chapter 24, before even really responding with much, he replies, see to it that no one deceives you. See to it that you don't get wrapped up in this fake stuff. See, see to it that the lies and the deceit of the enemy don't get you. And then he goes into this big old spill, and I wonder how many of the disciples were like, that, that ain't even what I was asking, Jesus. But then he goes into this long thing about false prophets. And he says the false prophets would be one of the biggest signs you have at the end of time. Now you think about that. That should be scary as much false prophecy as we've got going on all around the world right now. In fact, many of the major writers of the New Testament, if not all of them, spoke about the great increase of false teachers false prophets the the warnings of it and i find it fascinating that in this whole chapter there's not a single command there's not a stand up and fight there's not a rebel against all all this is he spends 20 something verses on a call to be cautious to be careful to look for misinformation to see the outright error that's all around us in a nutshell peter's right and he's saying we must be aware of false beliefs faulty behavior and the fake benefits that they promised because of it aw or sorry john MacArthur, he he really grabs the gravity i think he says this he says nothing is more wicked than for someone to claim to speak for god to the salvation of souls when in reality he speaks for satan and the damnation of souls nothing nothing is more wicked nothing is more more of a problem Verse 1, Peter, Peter jumps into this thing and he, he begins to, he had just left, chapter 1, defending the authenticity of his ministry. And anytime you defend the truth, you've got to know lies coming. So he jumps right into the fact of, of just warning them and making sure they're aware of, of yes, I, I guaranteed you this stuff was true. I guaranteed you there was eyewitnesses. I guaranteed you we saw the, the movement of the Holy Spirit inspiring men to, to write and to say and to teach these things. But then he has to transition and to say where we, where we find truth, we often see people trying to lie. Where, where truth is, is spoken, there's, there's somebody often trying to, to interrupt it. There's emotions that come in, there's real life stuff that happens. And, and if we distort the truth of God, we'll misinterpret some of the things that, that God's doing through those things. And again, not a, not a new idea. Look with me at just a few examples. If you got notes, jot down the verses to read later or or flip to them real quick right now, but it's, it's Jesus as the greatest example. Jesus talks about false prophets. Matthew chapter 7, he says, you'll know them by their fruits. You, you'll know them by what they're, actually, what they're actually producing. He says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree will bring forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth good fruit for it, for, for it's down and cast into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall, you shall know them. He, he's giving something to his disciples. He's saying, you guys ought to just look at the tree and look at the fruit. You, you want to know if it's real? You want to know if that person's real? Then, then look at the fruit in their life. Look at their home life. Look at how, how they're respected. Look at their character. Look at their morality. Don't, don't just look deeply into their, their theology part of life, but, but look into the, the things that come about because of them, because of the way they are and how they are. Paul writes... And he speaks against false prophets in Romans chapter 16. It says, Now I beseech you, therefore, mark them, with cause, mark them that cause these divisions, 
that offenses contrary to the, to the doctrine that you've already been taught and you've already learned. This is kind of what Peter's saying when he's saying there's going to be false teachers among you. He, he's not just talking about outside the church. He's talking about in the church. They'll be, they'll be among you. They'll be right there where you're at. Verse 18 of chapter 16 in Romans, it says, for they, that are, sorry, for they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own, their own belly. They're trying to benefit them, themselves from it. By the good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of simple-minded people. John, 1 John chapter 4, he said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit that you hear, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many, many false prophets have gone out into this world. This isn't a rare thing. This is a, this is a popular thing. Jude, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God and the Master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Countless, countless scriptures. Now, when Peter's writing, to find out who a false teacher is means that that teacher had to come in and teach. Or he had to be on a street corner teacher. He, he had to be somewhere. Guys, today, we don't, we don't even have to have that. We've got, the, we've got the internet. We've got TV. We've got the radio. We've got social media. It's spreading like wildfire. And it's everywhere. And li- listen, Peter's stating as a fact that this is going to be something that's not outside the church only, but something that's creeping inside the church. He's saying they're, they're amongst you already. They're, they're right there with you. In verse 1 he says, they will secretly bring destructive heresies. Secretly bringing it. Sometimes I think we've fallen into a trap of thinking because somebody dresses good and they stand up and they say a couple of holy words, that means they're speaking the truth. He says they're deceptive, but folks, they're not wearing a name tag. They're not going to come into the church and say, hey, I'm a false prophet, my name is, and, and roll into it from there. They're, they're going to look, they're going to secretly be this, this destructive heresy thing. And, and it says, look at the word destructive, underline destructive. Because we've fallen into another trap in this world where we think that, that heresy is harmless. Heresy is not harmless, heresy is destructive. It's going to tear stuff down. We say, oh, a little twist and a little change. Well, I want you just to think, and don't shout none out. I know we're all probably thinking of some of the same ones, but you think of little twists, little lies, and little things that we've let in the church in the last couple generations, and look at how big they are right now. There's not a one of them that didn't start as something very tiny, very minute, very, very, very deceptively, and we probably all covered it up with the phrase of, oh, it's, it's no big deal. It's just, a, it's just a little lie. It's, it's just a little stretch of the truth. It's, it's just a little deceptive. It's just a little misrepresentation. And how big it's gotten now. How giant some of the groups have become that started with just little, little lies. Little seduction. Little truths is what I call them. Half-truths. We've let them in. They belong. Helen Keller says this. The heresy of one age becomes the orthodox of the next. I'm not telling you any specifics to believe. I'm telling you this is the truth. This is the truth. I hear people all the time talk about, well, well Pastor, what's your opinion? My opinion doesn't matter. My opinion is, my opinion is less than, 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 than one. You, you know what I'm saying? Like my, my opinion is less than anything that, that, that has any scale of measurement to it. Because the truth is God's word. This is the truth. It's not my word, it's not my opinion, it's not my guess, it's not my assumption. I'm going to do my best to study it, and I want us to study it together, and I want us to grow together. But man, when you ask that question of what is your opinion, my opinion is trash. 
My opinion, your opinion is trash. Your opinion is rubbish. This is the truth. If we're not getting it from this, we're messing things up. And Helen Keller says these are the things that will become orthodox in the next. Look, look at the news, guys. Look at denominations right now that are being split and tore. Well, you've, got, you've got a dozen of them in driving distance of this church right now that are in the turmoil that's going on publicly in the whole world because of some changes going on in their denominations that started as little truths and little lies. And they're not the first. They won't be the last. Because we let this, these ideas, this heresy come in, and, and Paul, Peter says it point blank. He says, guys, the secret things that they're bringing is destructive. It's going to mess up. If, if, you get, if you get one, one little belief wrong, You've got a waiver that can go far away. He says this, he says, even denying, still in verse 1, even denying the Lord who brought them. All he's meaning by that, he's not saying they are saved, he's saying they appear to be saved. He's saying they, they look like, they, they, they chat like, yet they deny the fact of Christ is the way. They might even, even talk about grace and they might even throw out some of those religious words. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, that's one of the biggest traps we get in as Christians. Somebody comes in and they start speaking holy and we drop down all the shields that we would have had up. Oh, they're, they're speaking good. Did you hear? He quoted a Bible verse. Yeah, but he quoted it wrong and you didn't catch it. I mean, it happens all the time. He, he, said, he said Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but 85% of the world is saying it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like Satan himself used, used scripture verses. Satan himself spoke holy words. Satan himself deceived with partial truths. But yeah, we, we just drop down our guard. We drop down our worry. And we forget about the damage the destruction that Peter's saying these little heresies can bring, the turmoil that they can bring. Sometimes it's, it's, the, it's the people who look so good that cause us to turn off our defenses, right? Guys, we've got to be weary all the time. We've got to check things all the time. Think about the Bereans in Scripture. They would hear a brother preach and then go home and try to disprove him. Now, did they go home and try to disprove every preacher because they just hated every preacher? No, they went home because they wanted to study the Word. They wanted to make sure it was truth up in that thing. And they're commended for it. He's saying this, this is not something that's outside. This is, this is something you let, you let creep in. You let them come in. You let them look like the real thing. You let them be, as Jesus calls them, wolves in sheep's clothing. And because they've come in that way, you've fallen for their traps. Look at Matthew Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read 13 through 20. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who's going to go through it. How narrow is the gate and how difficult the road that leads to life and few are able to find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Again, test them. You'll recognize them because grapes are gather, aren't gathered from thorn bushes or, or, or figs from thistles. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit and every bad tree produces bad fruit. You'll recognize them by their fruit. He repeats it. He repeats the idea. We, we've read it already over and over. And he says how important it is to make sure you're on guard. Peter, Peter spends part of this letter just, just telling people, get on guard, be ready. Look at what he says in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Talk about opinion. Many will follow their depraved ways. The, the word there is used, many are going to follow their own opinions. 
We live in a world where we, we, we pride ourselves and we pride promoting people to have an opinion. And I'm not saying you can't have an opinion on things in the world. You want to talk about trucks, let's talk about trucks. You want to talk about lift kits and, and, and hunting ideas and different kind of guns to use and, and all that kind of stuff. By the way, did you drive a Mustang last week and pull up in a Mini Cooper tonight? I wasn't going to throw it in the sermon. I was going to wait on the back door, but it just came up just now when I thought cars. So, you know, but, but we, can, we can talk about that. Some of y'all are probably thinking, oh, the Mini Cooper is great. It gets better fuel mileage. Ain't nobody buying cars for fuel mileage that know about a motor. Right? We, we, want, we want less fuel mileage, more power. Right? That's, the, that's the man instinct that comes us in it. But then there's some that want the fuel mileage. So we can, we can have opinions, your own ideas, about that kind of stuff. But when it comes to interpreting Scripture, your opinion, you don't get to have one. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it, ain't, it ain't yours. Sometimes you just need to look yourself in the mirror and look whatever brother or sister you're bold enough to speak to in the mirror and say, man, don't, don't hear this from me. But you need to know this is what God says. This is what it is, whether I like it or not, or whether you like it or not. And sometimes they're going to speak to you that way. And I think you should cherish the truth that comes about, rather than the destructive lies that sometimes we let come in. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, for many, many are going to follow this. I think that's the saddest part of this writing, by the way. To me, it's not a surprise. We've dealt with it since the very beginning of creation that lie is going to try to get into truth, that darkness is going to try to cover up light. So, so that's not the surprise. That's not the thing. What really blows my mind is this where Peter writes, and he says the false teachers, have, they've always been among you, but the fact is that many, many, and he's talking to a church, so he says many in the church are going to start following their destructive ways. I, I think he's trying to give a twofold warning. And part of that twofold warning is the fact that they're going to be so good at what they do that they're going to start misleading many, many away. But Jesus just said in the verses we read in Matthew that, that sometimes the large crowd ain't the right answer. Sometimes because many are going that way, it ain't, it ain't the way you should go. I mean, you think if your kids, are, you saw all them babies up here, and that was, I don't even know if that was a third of what was, what was here, which, by the way, not only did we break numbers with kids, we broke numbers with volunteers and workers. Uh, you know, we couldn't do more kids if we didn't have more volunteers and workers, so, so there's a huge benefit that goes that way. But the era, could you imagine growing up with all the lies and deceit, all the opposite ways against the crowd this, this next generation and the following generation will have to walk? Guys, that's tough. Some of you can't even come into church and worship the way you want to worship because you're afraid of what the crowd will think, the popular group will think. So you hold back and reserve your worship. He says it ain't about the crowd. It ain't about the numbers. It ain't about how many. It's about the truth. It's about the right way. He says, and many will follow, though, these destructive ways. And he says the, the way of truth from this, because many are following, because those whom whom have blasphemed the truth, really what he's writing, if you didn't understand it, he's saying that God's holy name, the name that deserves honor and praise, is going to be disgraced by this, by this action, by this thing. Some of your translations have bring into disrepute. The, the Greek verb there is blasphemio, which blasphemy means to injure the reputation of somebody. And who's the somebody that's being injured? It's Christ in the church. Peter's writing and he's saying, guys, in case you're missing it, 
these, these immoral acts that we're letting in, these, these false truths that we're allowing to, to just be normal, that, that we're identifying ourselves with and we're fellowshipping with, these are the things that are bringing discredit to Christ. These are the things that are going to make the unbelievers never believe. Probably the saddest part of it, I, I would think most importantly, though, the, 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 the fact that those that, know, that don't know Christ are being influenced negatively and in, in, in building up a potential barrier to prevent them from ever knowing Christ, that should be one of the greatest motivators for us to make sure we grab truth, to make sure that we're clinging to the truth. Verse 3, he, sa- he says this right here is what the world is seeing. And I, I'm blown away that 2000, over 2,000 years ago, something can be mimicking exactly what we're seeing today, by the way. Because listen to what he says. This, this is the summary of verse 3, if you didn't get it. The gospel of grace has now become a gospel of greed. We've turned the gospel of grace into a gospel of greed. When any ministry, any preaching, any teaching of God becomes about personal gain, there's a huge problem. And in case some of you are thinking, oh, it's all, it ain't always just about money either. Sometimes people are chasing power. They're chasing authority. They're chasing rulership. Yeah, sometimes it's the dollar and that one's obvious. But what we've done is we've commercialized religion. Matter of fact, we've commercialized Jesus. We saw if we're able to make a profit off of God. That's, that's what we're creating. That's what we're doing. And that's, that's the greatest worry that he has here in verse 3. He's saying these, these false teachers, they, they creep in secretly with their religious jargon and speech, and they use it for self-motivation. They use it, one translation, let me see that one in verse 3. Yeah, one of them says, they will exploit you in their greed. I'm not going to name names, but let me just be upfront and honest. There are denominations in the world today where you can pay a certain amount to get out of sin. I don't know about you, but I wish I had more money. If it's that simple, right? They're saying there's religion, there literally denominations in the world where, where you can go to this official figure and you can tell him what you did and he'll say, oh, you owe dot, dot, dot. Some of them, this is how far it's gone. This blew my mind. This is, this is people who are in these other denominations literally telling me this. They can pay before they commit to crime. It's like storing up a bank account for you. You're thinking about doing something, you pay early, and you get out of it. I, I get in trouble, so I'm the donkey. Many times. <laughs> Many times. And what I mean by donkey ain't always the good part of it, right? I open mouth like Peter and get myself in trouble. So I'll ask crazy questions. Hey, how much is adultery? What's murder going for nowadays? Just curious. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I want to know. I'm just, just trying to figure it out. I'm curious in case something don't work out. <laughs> Guys, it's sad. We laugh because we know the truth. But, but here's the sad part of it. Please hear me. There's people that believe it that way. And that's a sad, terrible thing. That's a scary thing. False teachers introducing errors so secretly with their religious mumbo-jumbo that they're they're pulling people away. The crazy part is almost every religion, every denomination, as far as in the, the biblical realm of things, they, they use the spiritual holy lingo, and it fools people because they don't know the truth. They'll use things like, you know, saved by grace and saved by this, but, but then they'll, they'll change what that means. They'll change what, what really has to go through. And I'm not just talking about theological differences either, and I don't think Peter is in this verse, because sometimes it's moral stuff. I, I was just talking with my brother the other day, Scott, and we were talking about the, the word evangelist. And I'm like, man, that's a scary word to throw out nowadays. 
Because generations before, here's, here, think with me now, some of you are old enough to know this, generations before, current generation, we would hear, even as an unbeliever, you would hear the term evangelist and have automatic respect for somebody. Whether you believed or not, just the, the, the term itself would bring forth that. You ask somebody in today's day and time what they think about evangelists, and you'll be afraid of some of the words you hear. Greedy, hypocrite, money lover, adulterer. You know why they hear those things? Because that's what the TV evangelists have become. When they hear evangelists, they automatically think of the televangelists that's all over, and they 